0: The best way to listen to Radio Captain U is on the way to practice. You can subscribe for free through the podcast app on your iPhone or Android and then enjoy more than 40 episodes. We'd like to thank our partners including US Lacrosse and the National Soccer Coaches Association of America for their leadership in communicating sports science and technology.
1: There's a lot more to being a successful athlete than learning technique and tactics. On Radio Captain
0: U, we introduce you to the leaders of the sports revolution. Welcome to Radio Captain U. I'm Avi Stopper, and on this episode, we're speaking with Dr. Caroline Silby, a sports psychologist who works primarily with women. Let's dive into the interview now. All right, well, Caroline Silby, welcome to Radio Captain U. Today, we're talking about some of the Key areas in which you work with female athletes on the sports psychology side. So why don't we just start there with a slightly more broad question? What are some of the main issues that you see female athletes today dealing with that you think maybe are different from what you might encounter on the male side?
1: Yeah, it's a great place to start and a wonderful question. I'm going to try not to answer it in a completely evasive way because there's so many unique issues that female athletes face. But I would say, you know, when you look at performance, you really have to kind of look at two factors. Personality of athletes affect the performance level and the outcomes that they have, and so do the environments in which athletes train. And so with that said, in my work, I'm really, when I've had kind of the most impact, specifically on female athletes, some of the personality traits that you see in successful female athletes can be slightly different than male athletes, and some of the things that they're looking for in training environments can be slightly different in terms of their needs from the training environment. So when I've had the most impact on athletes, it's kind of working on both of those when you can kind of have an impact on altering some of the personality traits that can help them identify their strengths and how they can contribute to performance, but then also allowing them to find training environments and helping the training environment meet their needs in the best way possible.
0: So personality and training environment, those are interesting distinctions. Let's start with personality. Can you describe some of the traits maybe that you see, some of the traits that you encourage young women to aspire to as they're building their training habits?
1: Sure. So when you look at kind of high-level Female athletes, there's really been kind of one psychological factor that's consistently been shown to contribute to injury risk, underperformance, and dropout, and that factor is stress. And so factors that impact stress and the quality of the board experience, as I said, include both personality and environmental factors. So a lot of high-level female athletes tend to be perfectionists, and there's a lot of qualities of perfectionism that lend itself to success, like being able to set high goals, being driven, being persistent. What we have to work on with a lot of female athletes is balancing that perfectionism, because a lot of perfectionists tend to motivate themselves through self-punishment. So in these situations, you can think about it when they get frustrated or they fail to meet the standard that they set for themselves, they tend to attack themselves. And so they are not only the attacked, but they're also the attacker. And that triggers the fight or flight response in your body. And then you get soaring cortisol levels in your brain. So there's a lot of stress. And Stress can be terrific for performance, but we're not meant to be in a state of stress for long periods of time. And so we really have to help female athletes kind of learn how to manage and navigate that frustration and, at times, failure to meet expectation in, in more effective ways other than kind of turning on themselves. And then I'd say the other kind of thing that we like to look at is the research shows that when we only recognize one aspect of an athlete's personality, the fact that they're an athlete and we don't recognize other dimensions of their personality like the fact that they're also students and community members and family members and friends, etc., that that leads them um, vulnerable for the development of anxiety and depression. So we also work on strategies to make sure that they have recovery time and that other dimensions of their personality are being recognized. And then the last thing in terms of environment, what the research shows is that female athletes who train in what are called task-oriented climates, those are climates that validate and recognize effort as an important part of the achievement process where environments where collaborative learning is encouraged and environments where mistakes are seen as part of the learning process and they're not punished. Female athletes who train in those types of environments experience less stress, more enjoyment, greater satisfaction in their sport experiences, and they even show improved body images when they train in those types of environments. So those are kind of the general kind of trends that we're looking at. At in terms of kind of how personality and environment affects a female athlete achievement process.
0: So interesting on the personality side that the things that you're thinking of right off the bat are stress and anxiety as opposed to, I don't know, things that are more directly applicable to sports. Those seem to be really kind of like core personality types of traits as opposed to how do you handle competition, that kind of stuff that you might typically associate with sports.
1: Right. Well, so when we start to look at actually improving performance, and I'd say, you know, probably about 90% of the athletes that I'm working with, that's the goal is to get performance level consistently in what we would say is kind of their range of good. So there's usually some sort of gap between what they're able to do in critical moments and their capabilities. And so we want to close that gap. And there's really kind of three types of strategies that we look at to do that. You have kind of coping strategies, which help, deal with the stress, there's debriefing strategies, and then there's the relaxing strategies. So when we're looking at performance, kind of where I typically start with an athlete is ask them to tell me about a time that they performed really, really well. And what's interesting is athletes will be able to tell you in great detail about some really great games or performances that they've had. The follow-up question to that is, okay, now I want you to identify one action that you took that you think helped contribute to that successful result. And probably about nine times out of 10, they stare at you and say, I have absolutely no idea. And so if you think about that, if athletes can't identify one or two actions that they're taking to contribute to successful performance, how do we ask them to perform consistently well time after time. So typically, most female athletes look at performance after it hasn't gone well. And I think that that's certainly a useful time to look at performance. But we also can learn so much from performance when it's gone very well. And it becomes critically important, especially for high school athletes, to start to make the connections between their own actions and their successful results. Because that then lays the groundwork for being able to to create consistent performance over time.
0: I guess I'm also kind of drawing a blank when you mention that. Are you talking about broader actions like maybe I had a good day in school that day or, or things along that line or as I was going to practice I had good snack and a nice conversation with my parents or something along those lines. I mean, can it just be anything that correlates or corresponds directly or prompts that kind of performance?
1: No, we're actually looking at more performance-oriented kinds of things. So when you have athletes start to think about and describe what happens when they're playing in a great game, they're just having that moment, they're in that kind of flow state, and you ask them to describe what's happening, they will be able to start to kind of vividly tell you, oh yeah, you know, my mind is very quiet. You know, they'll use their own words to describe it. But essentially what they're going to describe is that they're kind of, their mind and body are very connected. They're connected to the action on the field or the court. They're reacting by instinct and technical knowledge, things that they've been taught. They're not up in their own head. And it'll start to become very evident to them that that's what's happening. When athletes are not performing as well, there starts to be a disconnect act between mind and body. So you can think about it almost as if they'll describe it to you as if their body's out there on the court or on the field, but their mind is almost like outside their body, kind of watching themselves kind of waiting to see what their body's gonna do. So there's a complete disconnect. And so what we have to do then is, once they've identified that, oh, it becomes very clear to them that, okay, my mind's pretty quiet, I'm connected, I'm in the moment when I'm performing very well, it'll become very clear to them what they're not doing in certain situations. And so at that point, you start to develop strategies that are gonna make sense to help them align their actions in more difficult moments, like high pressure situations with actions that come very naturally to them when they're playing well.
0: Okay. So when you were talking about anxiety and stress a moment ago, I guess those are also things that you're experiencing on the field, largely as opposed to things that you're experiencing kind of in your life outside of the game.
1: Right. Well, it can be both. So when you look at athletic performance and when people start to get stressed, typically they're focusing on things that are outside of their control. So that may be playing time. That may be what the coach is going to think. That may be who's watching them. That may be the opponent. And, you know, that may be them trying to qualify for the next round. So those tend to be things that they don't have direct control over, and so to manage that stress, what we really have to do is help these athletes identify their own internal strengths, the way they think, the way they focus, the way they breathe, the things they see in their head, their pre-game routines. You have to help them see all the things about themselves that they do control that then help them manage those things that they don't control. So you're helping them using their strengths and controllable aspects of performance to then get the result that they want as opposed to solely focusing on the things that are potentially interfering with performance.
0: A number of those things sound like they fit into the environmental category that you mentioned a moment ago. And I guess I'm wondering, you have all of these influences when you're playing in a game, whether it's the team you're playing against, whether it's your coach, whether it's the fans, that kind of stuff. If those are the kinds of things that typically prompt anxiety or stress, that kind of stressful response, what do you do about those things? Is focusing on the positive side of things going to help kind of quiet that side down? Or do you have to really actively you were talking about taking action. Do you have to really actively take action to calm those things down?
1: Right. I think the answer to that is both. So I with the athletes that I work with, I tend to find that they tend to be good executors because they tend to be high level athletes who kind of build their momentum in games by taking action rather than kind of going up in their own head and trying to have some kind of perfect way of thinking. But self-talk and cues are certainly helpful to many, many athletes. So I tend to use a combination of both, kind of an action-oriented approach that allows them to refocus or so something they do and help them build momentum within the- game. And it can also be talking to themselves in a certain way. The problem that athletes run into with self-talk is that if you really think about it, positive and negative thinking are actually quite similar in that they both predict the outcome. So in either case, you're kind of just predicting either that you're going to do well or that you're going to mess up. And so when you get stuck and kind of fixated on the outcome, it's very difficult to take action because you're not connected to what you're doing in the moment. And so doing things, you know, and they can be very simple things. They can be breathing. They can be power posing. It can be something technical like taking a look before I pass the ball. It can be something like for the next two minutes of the game, I'm just really going to use my body and throw my body into it. So they can be simple cues, but they're action oriented to help kind of connect my, Mind and body. So you have to think about them to do them, but you're executing as opposed to just telling yourself it's going to be okay, or I can do it. So they both can work. And very often you use both types of strategies, both self talk kinds of cues and action oriented strategies.
0: So in what ways are these strategies unique to the female athletic experience?
1: Well, I think as much as we prepare athletes for competition and as much as that includes repetition at the end of the day it's sport and no two situations are alike so we can't map out with any certainty what every athlete's going to see at every moment so I think it's more it's not so much a male-female issue as knowing the personality of the athlete and what is going to resonate and work for the athlete in that moment to help them get connected to the way that they really like playing the game and so Kind of being able to find perspective in each moment that you're in is something that you need to train athletes to do. And I kind of frame it out that depending upon we identify kind of what a lot of the noise is that seems to get that specific athletes sidetracked. And with female athletes, very often it is what other people are thinking of them. So it's the perception of their teammates. It's the perception of their coaches. It's who's there to watch them play or perform. And for female athletes, that can create a tremendous amount of noise. I'm not saying it doesn't. For male athletes, At all, but it is a big concern for female athletes, especially teenage girls. And so I kind of frame those things out as something I call them TBUs, and TBU stands for true but useless pieces of information. You know, so it may be true that your coach is going to be mad if you make a mistake or he's going to take you, or she is going to take you out of the game, but it's also a completely useless piece of information because there are still positive actions that you can take in that moment to give yourself the best opportunity to play at your highest level. So I think it really comes down to more of who the athlete is more than kind of a gender
0: issue. The idea of noise and having some perspective, I think is really an interesting one, but it also seems so hard because so much is going on at once. There are all of these inputs. There's what's actually going on in the game. There's what your coach is saying on the sideline. There's what the fans are saying. There are all these things going on and it's hard to balance all of that. And one of the things I guess I often wonder is in the midst of that kind of overstimulation where you've just got so much going on, how can you actually have the kind of perspective to process those inputs logically and constructively?
1: Yeah, well, so this is something that we work on continuously, pretty much on a daily basis. And one of the things that athletes have to be educated a bit about it. exactly what you're saying is that there's a lot of information coming in, and much of it is information that elicits emotion. So as a result of that, athletes tend to view that as important and needing immediate response. The majority of the information that's coming in during a game is really fairly unimportant. Um, what's important is what you're seeing on the field or on the court, and if it's a sport like figure skating or gymnastics, it's what you know you need to think about to give yourself the best chance of hitting the net skill. So there's really not a lot of information that's important. There is a lot of information. And so we train that in order to, you know, one, the first step is just educating people that not all of those cues need response. Just like you have a million thoughts all day long, but you don't respond to every single one of them. So it's the same thing in sport. There are certain pieces of information that are quite important, but typically the judgments that people are making about what's happening, like I'm going to get pulled from the game, those are very unimportant pieces of information that don't need a response in that moment. But what does need a response is what you're going to do in the next second and a half to make a difference in the game. And that's typically something action-oriented. Um, I'm going to keep my eye on the ball. I mean, it's something that you can do immediately in that moment to move yourself forward. And so you train that on a daily basis with athletes.
0: It's interesting because that seems so simple. And yet I would say that in so many cases, someone makes a mistake out on the field, looks over on the bench, sees the coach looking down or muttering under his or her breath and then telling someone at the end of the bench to get up and warm up. And so rather than thinking about what really matters, you're focused On that instead.
1: No, that's exactly right. And I think the first step is always awareness, and then the second step is implementation. And it always sounds easy when you're sitting down and talking to an athlete, you're exactly right. But actually doing it in that moment when there's so much stress and you're under so much pressure is extremely difficult and it requires a tremendous amount of practice and athletes practice it until the day they're finished with their careers. It's an ongoing kind of process and that's where experience really helps.
0: I think that that's an important idea that practice is part of this, that it's not just like you go out and it happens, that it's something that you have to continually work on. Do you feel like that's becoming more mainstream, that people are actually practicing this kind of thing as part of their development? We all take it with a grain of salt that when you go to practice, you're actually we're working on technique and maybe some tactical stuff. But do people work on this side of their game actively, and do you see that increasing?
1: Yes, they really do. I mean, especially the elite athletes. I mean, I think there's very few, you know, now kind of the elite level who don't have some exposure to mental training throughout their careers. And and it's interesting because when you ask athletes, even young athletes, you know, 9, 10-year-olds, how much you ask them, how much of your sport performance do you feel is affected and impacted by your attitude, the way you think about it, things, the way you focus. They'll tell you anywhere from 50 to 99.9% of what they do out on the field or the court is affected by their attitude. And so the next question I typically ask is okay, well, so how much time each day are you spending working on your attitude? And they'll laugh because now the percentages go way down. So they know it's important, but they don't spend a lot of time working on it. And I think the main reason for that is because it can be really hard to know how to train it on a daily basis. You know, if somebody tells me, go sit in the corner of the room, Caroline, and work on your attitude, you know, it can be kind of hard to know what exactly you're supposed to do to have a better attitude and a better approach to your endeavors. So I think a key component in this is allowing athletes to have a structure and give them some tools to that they can practice on a daily basis. And that's very often where simulations come into play. And not only that, but just other people that are important to them in their sport career recognizing that they're working on their attitude. So it can be as simple as a parent or a coach. Instead of them just saying, good job, you know, they say, good job. You know, I saw you come off the bench. I know that's difficult for you. I saw you take a deep breath and you really got your head in the game. So it's just taking it one step further to make that comment and give them some validation. That people recognize that they were working on that aspect of the game. Very often, what happens is we say, Oh, you need to work on your attitude. You know, why'd you miss that shot? (laughs) So we don't tend to reinforce it. We just kind of say, oh, yeah, you're supposed to do that.
0: That's really interesting. This lack of specificity around you need to work on your attitude reminds me about when I was coming up playing soccer, a lot of what we were talk about is that we have to be mentally tough and there was no real description or explanation of what that was, what that actually meant or how you got there. I think that there were times when someone would make some sort of... Serious mental mistake and get mad at a ref or whatever the case may be. And it was like, oh, you're not being mentally tough, or you would give up some silly goal or something like that. And people just didn't really know what that meant. I guess one thing that maybe could really help galvanize people's understanding of this is really like clear role models who are out there. And I was wondering if there are any professional or top-level female athletes that you see competing where you're like, yes, this person just really gets it. This is someone who maybe on TV you can see that they're using the right kinds of techniques to get where they need to be.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because when it comes to mental training, athletes don't necessarily want to talk about it, that they're working on it, because very often... They feel as though it's something that they're supposed to kind of just be good at. You're supposed to have a good attitude. You're supposed to have mental toughness. You're just supposed to kind of know what that means. So you don't see a lot of people necessarily kind of promoting or kind of talking about the work um, that they do. But yet when they study Olympians, the Olympians um universally noted mental factors as more important to their success than the physical factors. And I think lately in the news, kind of to your question about important role models, it's unfortunate, but I still think that right now... Female athletes are achieving at higher and higher levels, and as such, they're really pushing the boundaries in terms of intensity levels. So, a lot of times, what we're seeing is kind of the bad behavior noted, kind of when they're having a moment where they're lacking some self control or management of their emotions. So, I'm thinking of kind of over the last few years, kind of some of the ones that were highlighted the New Mexico State soccer player, Elizabeth Lampert, if you remember that one. She pulled the other girl's ponytail they were both elbowing you know and so then that was in the news for months and months and months and then Serena Williams when she yelled at the line person a couple years ago so I think sometimes we kind of see in the media the breakdown as opposed to kind of highlighting what some of these athletes are going through and when they've really got it right and I think part of that is that some athletes back to kind of my point earlier some athletes have a really hard time identifying what they did they know it went right But they haven't necessarily sat down to really kind of talk through. So when they're interviewed, they're not always able to articulate what they actually did mentally to get that positive result. And or they don't want to share what they did (laughs) because they'd like to continue to repeat that.
0: Interesting. The introspection goes on, I guess. To wrap things up, at the outset, you mentioned that there are these personality characteristics, and then there's environment. And there, are, I would imagine, some environmental things that you just can't change. You can't change if people on the sidelines are being cruel, whether those are fans or coaches. You can't change the environments involving the people that you're competing against, I think. Most of the times, that's probably the case. You can change some environmental things, like you can change teams. You can probably change coaches or teammates, depending on the circumstances. And so I guess that's a question to kind of wrap things up. At what point do you encourage people to say, all right, well, there are some environmental changes that you can make, go ahead and make them, as opposed to saying, let's focus on those things which are most innate to you, which are anxiety and stress.
1: Right. I'd like to start there with, let's focus on the things that we can control, because what you really want, with on the environmental side, you don't want to react to events. You know, you need to look at patterns and differentiate between the two. So a coach being hard on you or taking you out of the game or you not getting some playing time, when that becomes a pattern, then that's something to look at, frequency and intensity and, and how that's impacting the experience. But I think at first, you know, the reality is that all athletes – throughout your career, it's going to be unlikely that you're always going to have the perfect environment, the boss that really helps and encourages you and is the perfect match. You know, you're know, you going to go through some tough times and figuring out how to navigate that is important. It's important to learn how to do that in sport and it's important for long-term success as well in terms of lessons to be learned in sport that you will kind of play forward later in life. So I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned when the environment is not necessarily a good fit. But at some point, there do come times when it's harming the quality of the experience and the actual level of performance and so you have to be able to kind of weigh those and balance those and see is an environment change really going to help and is that really going to make a difference and i think when you can talk that through and see it when an athlete is open and able to go in with an open mind to an environment change that sometimes can have an impact but the Timing has to be right. And the patterns, I think, really need to be there. It can't be, you know, the coach pulled me, so now I'm going to go change to another coach. You know, that's not an appropriate way to kind of assess.
0: So it's really, as a last resort, so focus on those personality aspects. And I guess in that vein, are there techniques that you encourage for women or girls who are starting out on this path? Are there techniques that you recommend as they start to try to understand and grapple with some of these things that prompt anxiety and stress and how exactly they should go about them?
1: I think you can really think about it kind of in three performance areas that you want them to initially work on. It's control, being able to learn how to focus, identify and focus on what they can control about performance. The second one is really the consistency piece, being able to consistently on a daily basis manage your way through frustration so that it doesn't interrupt the training. And then the third piece of the puzzle is confidence and really working to use your positive actions and self-talk and your body language, etc., to build that confidence. So control, consistency, and confidence tend to be the three kind of target areas that we work on right away and there's probably a thousand strategies to kind of do each of those things and if you think about it you know the more you focus on what you can control the more consistent performances and the more consistent performances the more confidence an athlete becomes and so they all interact and the more confident you are the easier it is to focus on what you can control so they all three have a lot of overlap with them.
0: Well, it sounds like a great place to start, and as we start to think about how young girls and women can get more out of sports, this is a great primer. Dr. Sylvie, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. It was fun to talk with you. Thank you for listening. We hope that Radio Captain U helps you be more successful on the field.
0: Radio Captain U is a production of Captain U, the network that helps high school athletes, youth coaches, tournament directors, and college coaches be more successful. For more information, visit www.captainu.com. The opinions expressed on the show do not represent the opinions or recommendations of Captain U or its partners.